Well, welcome everyone to the podcast here at Scone Anglican Parish. My name is Jesse and it's a joy that you have come here to listen to um, the scriptures being proclaimed today. My prayer is that in this time, as we look at this final teaching from Colossians, that you may lift up the name of Jesus. So may I pray for that. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this scripture from Colossians. And we do pray that as we engage with it, your spirit may open up our hearts to consider the truth of your word. And may we be penetrated in such a way that we lift up the name of Jesus, that we deeply desire to live under his supreme lordship, we pray. Amen. Well, at the end of 2019, while sitting on the edge of my lounge, my eyes were fixed to a new segment. And the segment recorded the deadliest disasters that occurred throughout the past year. I discovered that a typhoon killed 72 people from China. A heat wave ended the lives of 160 people in Japan. And a cyclone claimed 900 people in Africa. I was shocked by this news, these discoveries. I remember thinking to myself, 2020 will be a better year. Now seated on the lounge again. My optimism is being tested. A new disaster is invading our world. It's an extremely contagious disease that knows no borders. And knowing the destructive force of this infection, our country is in lockdown. Grandparents can't even see their newly born grandchildren. Businesses that have offered outstanding hospitality for the last 50 years and more are shutting their shops for the first time. The psychological, the psychological burden of the crisis is building in our communities. We are now homebound. Tears are falling behind closed doors. For many of us, we are entering into an unexplored territory. And as we enter into this frightening season, some of us have already felt crushed. The governmental restrictions are a heavy burden to carry. Our anxiety is increasing rapidly. We are worried by the unknown. And due to our newfound fears, new temptations are emerging. In this present crisis, I believe we can even lose sight of the Lordship of Christ Jesus. The anxiety can just be so um, so harsh. We can forget the necessity of a holy conduct, forget to commit ourselves to things like intercessory prayer and fail to co- cooperate with those around us. These anxiety-induced temptations can lead to serious repercussions upon it. Our faith, our faith can be under attack in this season of self-isolation, loneliness. And even though our anxieties can negatively impact our walk with Jesus, I remain confident, hopeful, optimistic. The God who came to earth in the flesh of Jesus, the one who even touched the leper's sores, dwells in us even in this gloomy time. Since Christ has won to us, won us to himself, sorry, through the blood of his cross, we can now enjoy the full benefits of his lordship. We can still flourish in our faith 
as we bow before his throne during this pandemic, we can still put to death the old nature of ungodliness. We can still put on, put on new life, which is overflowing with holiness through Jesus Christ our Lord, who has desired to send his spirit to us to invade our heart and mind. Even though COVID-19 knows no borders, being ruled by Christ knows no lockdown. This is good news. Nothing can stop the work of Christ in our lives, for he is indeed above all. And since Christ is our supreme king, today we're going to see how his lordship shapes our identity. This is practical stuff. We're going to see that Christ's lordship shapes our conduct, our commitments, and our cooperation. And this brings us to the first point I want to raise from the biblical text. The lordship of Christ shapes our conduct. Since we are called to do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, Paul now shows them, the Colossians, what a household ruled by Christ looks like in practice. And this brings us to AD 60. I want you to come with a journey with me. You're standing on a street of red bricks in the Greco-Roman world. You're in the city of Colossae. These bricks, you notice, are thinner and longer than usual. And as you walk the streets, the sun drops behind a mountain range as you hear the soft melody of a hymn. You follow the sound. It takes you to the entrance of a household. Looking through the doorway, grapevines are wrapped around concrete pillars. The courtyard is blossoming with olive green shrubs. Spices fill your nose from the soup that is brewing in the kitchen. And captivated by the beauty of the courtyard, you are greeted by a woman. Who are, who are you? She asks. You reply, I'm Jessie. I'm your name. You can see that she's intrigued by your unique accent. The woman then says, my family is about to enjoy a feast. You're welcome to stay. Walking past a fountain, you enter a dining room, a room filled with couches and a dining table. A family is seated around the table and looking at each other with joy as they sing a song of praise, which climaxes with an amen at the end. Now that the time, now that the time of family worship had finished, the woman introduces you to her husband and children. Welcomed with great enthusiasm, the father asks his daughter to create space for the new guest, which is you. In respect, she listens to her father, now sitting on the most uncomfortable couch in the room. Seeing the sacrifice his daughter made, the father expresses words of gratitude. Priscilla, the kindness of your mother radiates from within you. You can see his affection for his daughter an affection that brings joy to his wife as well. His love for both is obvious. After you receive a glass of wine, a young slave boy enters the room. He is carrying a large pot. Steam is gushing out of it. The servant appears uncomfortable, as if he's losing grasp of the pot's handle. Thumping it on the table, the contents of the soup spill all over the place burning the knees of his master. Humiliated by his mistake, the servant quickly wipes the burnt knees of his master. He uses his own shirt. Working with all his heart, he then soothes the knees with a honey ointment. Seeing the love of his servant, the father seats the boy at the table. He declares, My son, I'm thankful for your care. 
It is indeed pleasing to the Lord. Please sit, eat with us. Well, friends, let's enter back to our day and age, 2020. And we learn a great truth from this story. When we are ruled by Christ, it should be evident through our conduct. In this story, you saw the love a husband had for his wife, the obedience of his child, and the reverence of his servant. If these family members weren't ruled by the peace of Christ, their love which binds each family member together in perfect unity would not be possible. The Lordship of Christ shaped their conduct in a deep way. It affected the whole household. And as a co-leader of the Baker household, alongside my wife Jessica, we try to implement disciplines that help us to submit to the reign of Christ. One of these disciplines is known as family worship. Family worship is the parent-led rhythm of reading the scriptures, engaging with God's word, praying together as a family, and singing hymns as a family unit. In fact, the roots of family worship are found in Colossians chapter 3, verses 16 to 17. Let me read. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom and as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. While the discipline of family worship is quite ordinary at times, I believe it has the capacity to centre our entire family on the Lordship of Christ. It has been a joy to see Evelyn, my daughter, say Amen after a prayer or eager to sing a hymn over and over. All family worship takes is a heart like Joshua, the leadership leader of Israel. He proclaimed, But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Family worship is a discipline that has the capacity to transform the conduct of the whole family unit. And what I love, looking back at that story and in the scriptures, we see this conduct is a conduct that overflows with the love of Christ Jesus. It is full of unity. It It binds us together. And so may you consider family worship as a discipline that can shape your Christian conduct. This brings me to my second point in the text. The Lordship of Christ shapes our commitments. Paul particularly urges the church to commit to watchful and thankful prayer, intercessory prayer, and wise speech. And we're going to focus on our commitment to intercessory prayer in this time Intercessory prayer is a discipline of praying for others. Intercessory prayer recognizes the Lordship of Christ for their prayers cannot enter God's throne without Him. Intercessory prayer is selfless prayer. It delights in the work of God in others. Intercessory prayer cries out, Lord, make your presence known to that person. Intercessory prayer flows from the heart of compassion. It demands nothing in return. Intercessory prayer is a binding agent. It unifies the most unlikely people. Intercessory prayer is a sacred duty for all who've proclaimed Christ is Lord. Since praying for others is so foundational to gospel ministry, 
it's no surprise to see its importance to Paul. As he said, pray for us too, that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ from which I am in chains. The mystery of Christ is God's revealed plan of salvation in Jesus. Paul knew that his message would not pierce the hard hearts of those outside his prison cell without the prayer of the saints. With a team of prayer warriors around him, the power of his teaching would be weakened. Intercessory prayer was critical to his ministry. And the good news is that we can all partake in the important ministry of prayer still to this day. I appreciate the quote from this pastor. There's an untrue idea in contemporary Christianity that those who offer a prayer for others are a special class of super-Christians called by God to a specific ministry of intercession. The Bible is clear that all Christians are called to be intercessors. All Christians have the Holy Spirit in their hearts and Just as he intercedes for us in accordance with God's will, we are to intercede for one another. This is not a privilege limited to an exclusive Christian elite. This is a command to all. We should feel empowered by this truth. There are no roadblocks to becoming a prayer warrior. Even if you are young in your faith, like the Colossians, with little knowledge of the scriptures, you are called to pray for others. We are all called to pray for the persecuted church, those who are doing frontline gospel ministry and those who are healing or who are in need of healing and those who preach and teach the flock each week. We are called to pray for God to open doors for the gospel to be reclaimed in the lives of others. The hope of glory is still relevant. What a great privilege it is to pray. And since many of us may be daunted by the idea of praying for others, I would like you to consider this exercise. It is a practice that will help you grow as a prayer warrior. And I'm going to offer you five steps to becoming a prayer warrior. Firstly, consider finding a quiet space in your home to pray. Two, consider writing a short list of people who you could pray for. Three, consider the needs and ministries of these people. Four, consider using the Bible as a guide for your prayers. When praying for someone's ministry, consider using Psalm 96 verse 3. Lord, help Joe to declare God's glory among the nations. His marvellous works among all the peoples. When praying for someone who is burdened, consider using Matthew 11, 28, 29. Jesus, Joe is burdened. Let them come to you and please give them rest. When praying for someone who needs guidance, consider using Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5. Lord, help Joe trust in you with all her heart and not lean on their own understanding. And this brings us to step five. Give thanks for the opportunity to pray for others. As you consider this exercise, please remember this truth. The Lordship of Christ shapes our commitment to disciplines like praying for others. And so I encourage you to pray for others in this season, especially in this season of loneliness, separation. And this brings me to the final point. The Lordship of Christ shapes our cooperation on the daily mission field of our lives.
And as we read through this section, we see that Paul is building a ministry team. Paul is stitching his own little group in Ephesus, in the prison itself, and among the friends who visit him there, onto the little group of Christians in Colossae. Eight friends were there on so eight friends with their own stories and journeys, their own joys and sorrows, are all supporting Paul in his gospel ministry. They are partners in the message of Christ. But these eight friends are not only partners in announcing Christ's lordship, the Colossians are also called to cooperate in this kingdom-building ministry as well. I love verse 16 from chapter 4. After this letter has been read to you, see that it is also read in the church of the Laodiceans, and that you in turn read the letter from Laodicea. The Colossians are commissioned to announce the Lordship of Christ to the church in Laodicea, a nearby town in the region. And they're also to receive Paul's letter from them as a means to nourish their faith. And so we see many levels of cooperation in the early church. With all these relationships that are attached to Paul, something is quite clear. The proclamation of the gospel is not done on solo mode. Ministry is done in fellowship. Our love prayer service should be achieved not alone, but together. If we, if we proclaim Christ is Lord, we also declare, Lord, send us on mission together. The Christian mission is a cooperative mission. And as I reflect upon the gospel ministry as a cooperative operation, I found it deeply liberating. I can't do it alone. I am weak without my brothers and sisters in Christ. I need them. While I'm not in prison today, as Paul was, this cooperative principle of building God's kingdom together remains. Ministry is not primarily a duty of the parish priest. Ministry is rather something that we are all called to participate in. And since we are a priesthood of all believers, sharing the ministry is a key component of our discipleship. Let me illustrate this idea with a practical example. Over the past few weeks, we have developed 12 COVID-19 support groups. These groups are led by one to two leaders each week. And since we are delivering 90 resource kits each week and try to check in on each group member, connecting with 130 people would be emotionally taxing on my end, possibly impossible. However, now that this burden is now being shared across 12 to 16 leaders, it guards me against the likelihood of burnout. It is also liberating in such a way that it enables me to focus my energy on other projects and invest more energy into them. This cooperative style of ministry has become an asset to our ministry here at Scott Anglican. And at the end of the each day, I'm often left praising God, serving alongside each other, and the Lordship of Jesus Christ is indeed a beautiful thing. I love it dearly. And so I thank God for our cooperation in the gospel here at Scone Anglican Church. Well, friends, we've now made it to the end of Colossians. And my prayer is that the supremacy and Lordship of Christ has impacted you in a deep way. However, to end this series, I'd like to declare the words of this ancient hymn from Colossians, and then end with a great Amen. So let me read this scripture. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. 
For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning of the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you wholly in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in this gospel. This is the gospel that you heard and has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. Amen.